shining a light to the nations. Welcome back to Returning to Our Roots, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are talking about Cain, the descendants of Cain. We're talking about the mark of Cain. You know, a lot of times people focus on the physical and miss the, the spiritual. The things that are visible are to tell us about things that are invisible. And so when we look at the mark of Cain, number one, we want to see that this occurred in the beginning. And so consequently, that means that we're going to have something similar to it in the end. Of course, we have the mark of the beast. The mark of Cain, while it certainly may have been a physical mark, it also, I believe anyway, is to point to the invisible things. When you look at Cain, what are you to see? Well, I believe all of these attributes that we've been discussing. When, when you look at Cain's seed, what are we to see? All of these uh, characteristics and traits, the, the robbery, the murder, the polygamy, the forming weapons against God's people, etc. Well, all of that is to teach us what to look for in the end. I believe the mark of Cain is something that is to draw our attention to Cain, to his seed, so that we can observe, we can discern what's going on, what the adversary is doing in the end. Now, we were talking about the fact that the term Arav, Ein Reich, Beit is a derogatory term, biblically speaking, and because that word means mixed or mingled, and mixed or mingled is the antithesis of what the Creator is, what He tells His people to be, what His Word is, because He is Kadosh, He's holy, He is set apart, and so His people are also to be set apart. But the word arav, not only does it mean mixed or mingled, but sometimes in some passages it is used to describe the desert or, in some cases, people of the desert. And so this is important when we look at Cain because it was pronounced upon Cain that he would live in barren, arid regions. And we derive that from the fact that the ground would not produce anything for him. He's going to presumably live in desert, arid regions. But we also pointed out that he also may show up in cities. He likes to congregate in cities. And we also see that Cain was to be a nomad. He was to be a wanderer. He was someone to go from place to place to place. Now, the word Arav is the word that we would say Arab. And again, I want to reemphasize this. We're not saying that all Arab people are evil people. Not saying that at all. But we are saying that it was from the Arab or Arabian Peninsula that Islam came forth from. And it's interesting because evidence shows that the Arabian people, the true Arab people, are... Uh, related to people who came from outside of the peninsula. In other words, it would seem that evidence supports this idea that the forebears of the true Arab people migrated into the Arabian Peninsula. If you will, they were apparently, originally, wanderers. Biblically speaking, to be Arav is to be from mingled seed and to be nomadic in nature. Most Arabs consider themselves to be descendants of Ishmael through his 12 sons, and the Bible supports this as well. But it's interesting, when we go back and we study the history of Ishmael, how did, how did the world end up with Ishmael? 
Well, it was because Abraham went into Hagar, the Egyptian, and he had relations with her. I would suggest to you that based on the fact that Isaac was the son of promise and that Ishmael is considered the son of the flesh, that Ishmael and this relationship or this union between Abraham and between Hagar was a forbidden mixture. It was mingling in a way that God did not intend his people to do, and the end result is Ishmael. And of course, through his 12 sons, we have many of the Arab tribes. Uh, we also see that other tribes are believed to be part of uh, uh, the Midianites, the Sabaeans, and the Kenites. And again, Bible supports this as well. So what we're getting at is, number one, that the Arab peoples are from a mixed background. They are, in general, a mixed race in the sense that, and we're looking at this from a biblical point of view, that Abraham mixed with Hagar, the end result is Ishmael. And then we've got these other relationships as well. So interestingly, one of those tribes that we mentioned, the Kenites, I want to show that Hebrew phrase for you. It's He Kuf Yud Nun Yud, reading from right to left once again, He Kuf Yud Nun Yud, pronounced Hakini. Hakini. Why is that interesting? Because now I want to show you the name Cain as spelled in Hebrew. Kuf Yud Nun. In other words, Cain or Cain is the same word that gives us Hakini, the Kenites. Now, we know that Cain and his physical descendants were destroyed in the flood. But the fact that there is one tribe here called Hekini, or the Cains, for, for lack of a better word, suggests to us that what Cain is and what Cain's descendants were is not so much tied up in people, but in people that are willing or will submit themselves to the purposes of the adversary, whether they do it knowingly or unwittingly, that doesn't really matter. The fact is, they do it. And so, in other words, we have this connection between Cain and those in the Arabian Peninsula. And of course, I want to again remind us that it's in the Arabian Peninsula that this very antagonistic religion called Islam, that is antagonistic toward Israel, and toward the God of Israel, the Bible, etc., came from. Again, I realize that this is venturing into territory that is considered politically incorrect. But if you're a believer, I need to remind you the Bible doesn't care about political correctness. The Bible is about truth. And I realize that the Bible is, some people think, subjective to opinion. But when we go back to what the text actually tells us, the truth is the truth, whether it agrees with our um, opinions, whether it agrees with our politics or our theology, it says what it says. So then, Hebrew language, history confirms some things for us, that the people who are in the Arabian Peninsula are a mixed race from a biblical point of view. Their ancestors came into the peninsula. They were nomadic in nature. To some degree, there's many tribes in the Arab Peninsula that are still nomadic. And actually, they were related to the Hebrews. 
kind of an interesting twist. Just as Cain was the brother to Abel, Esau was Jacob's brother, Ishmael was Isaac's half-brother, all related. And yet, these people that live in the region that we're speaking of and the surrounding area, and not just there, but in cities, cities across America, as a matter of fact, all in the West, all these people have something in common, seemingly, and that is they have a mixed way of thinking as you view it from a biblical point of view. And they are very antagonistic toward God's people, in a word, Israel. And why is that important? Because though Ishmael and Isaac were brothers, even though Cain and Abel were brothers, Esau and Jacob, and then you can extrapolate that into our day and time, these people that live in the Middle East, even though they are physically, genetically related, they are diametrically opposed to one another. And that's because of the seed. That's because of the word that they've accepted. You know, out of the land of Canaan came forth what we know as Judaism and Christianity. And while I'm not a proponent of quote-unquote religion, but, but relationship with the God of Israel, um, there's quite a bit of difference in those faiths and Islam. And yet, they have things that overlap with one another. They're, in some ways, you could say, related, but very different. In fact, opposites. So, once again, I find it necessary to point out here that though Arab, Arab, if you will, is a biblically negative term, it's negative in the sense that it means mixed or mingled, and God is pure and holy. But I'm not saying, nor does the Bible say, that anyone who is an Arab is essentially evil. It doesn't mean that. Anybody who comes to the God of Israel, who comes to the Messiah Yeshua, wherever they live, whatever language they speak, whatever culture they were born into, that's all irrelevant when they come to the Messiah and are born again and become a new creature. And I hope everybody's hearing me on this. In a biblical way, an Arab who's born again becomes Israel. Whether they realize that or not, that's what the Bible teaches us. And so somebody like me that was born in South Georgia, grew up Pentecostal, when I was born again, I became part of his family called Israel. So now that we've looked at this family relationship between those people who live in the Middle East and Jacob, Esau, Ishmael, Isaac, um, Cain, Abel, etc., I want to look at a different word, not... Arav, but I want to look at one that's very, very close to it, almost identical to this word with one distinction, and that word is Avar. Avar, and it's spelled Ein Beit Resh. Now, you've seen the word Arav, Ein Resh Beit. This word Avar, Ein Beit is almost identical to it. Like I said, there's this one slight distinction. And that distinction is that there's one letter or a couple letters that are reversed. Now, this word avar means to impregnate. In noun form, it is the word for embryo. So what does it hint at? It hints at life. It hints at seed growing into fruit. 
Now, avar is the word that is most commonly translated as to cross over. But instead of crossing over, uh, or in, in addition to crossing over, it is to imply that you're crossing over from death unto life. Or let's put it this way. You're crossing over from a place where fruit can't grow. The ground won't produce anything. And so if it won't produce anything, it's going to be desert. It's going to be barren. It's going to be an arid region. But you're going to cross over from that into a land that will produce fruit, that you can sow seed in, and that seed will grow and it will produce fruit. It will produce life. In other words, uh, avar is the word to cross over, but in an agricultural sense. You're going to cross over from where you can't grow anything to where you can grow something, to, from a land that is desert and barren into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, it's a theological term as well. And so it's from this term, avar, that we get this word. Ein, bet, resh, yud. And that word is the word Hebrew. As in, Abraham was a Hebrew. He was Ivri. He was known as Ha-Ivri, the Hebrew. In fact, he's the first one that's called Ha-Ivri, this term. And where did Abraham come from? Well... He came from the Ur of the Kazdim, what would be later called Babylon or Babylonia, which a lot of that area, not where he was necessarily, but a lot of that area is a barren desert region. Now, even if he was living in a fertile area along the river, think of it in spiritual terms. He came from a land of idolaters, if you will, barren, desert in, in way of thinking, in lifestyle, and he is to cross over. And when he crossed over, he went into a land that was given to him and to his seed forever, because there in that land, his seed would grow and would be fruitful and would actually be a source of blessing to all the people on the face of the earth. Now, again, it's important to bring back into this the fact that he had these relations with Hagar, and the result was Ishmael. And of course, Ishmael was antagonistic toward his brother Isaac. Ishmael's descendants were, in general, antagonistic toward Isaac and Jacob's descendants, Israel. But yet, they seem to have grown up together. In, in some cases, intermixed with one another not necessarily maritally, but living next door to one another, growing up together as if they were tares sown amongst the wheat. Now, arav, again, to mix, to mingle, is to mix or mingle in the sense that you fail to receive God's word, and by default, you receive another word. And consequently, what springs forth from this other seed is not good fruit. And if it's not good fruit, then the seed contained within it is not going to be good either. So now, what I want to do is to look at these two words, arav and avar. And in comparing these two words, the first one, arav, mixed or mingled, if we look at that as a seed, then that's the seed that is mixed and mingled. And what does it result in? Death. If we look at the other word, ein, beit, resh, avar, then 
that's the word that is to be fruitful. That's the word that's going to be life. That's the word that's going to bring about fruit, etc. So there's only a small distinction between these two words. There's only a, uh, to an untrained eye, if you look at them in a glance, you think, well, they're the same word, but actually there's a big difference between the two. Just like to the untrained eye, if you look at the wheat and the tares, you won't be able to tell them apart until they begin to produce their respective fruit. So when the wheat and the tares begin to put forth their fruit, now we're going to be able to tell who is what and what they are. One, the one that is represented by Ein Beit Resh, Avar, where we get Hebrew from, that's one that's going to produce fruit. And by the way, that's the one that is sown by the Creator. But the other one, Ein Resh Beit, Arav, the one that's mixed and mingled that results in death, that's when, that one is actually sown by the adversary, and it produces a fruit, but it's a degenerate fruit. It's a corrupt fruit. It's a violent fruit, and it's one that wishes to destroy the good. Now, both of these growing up together, if we look at a piece of ground and we've got corn or wheat growing in that, that field, we also will notice that sometimes there's weeds growing in that field. And as these two plants, two different species, are growing in the same piece of ground, they're going to be in a struggle with one another. They're going to be struggling with one another over the nutrients in the ground, the sunlight, the water. In fact, they're going to be struggling over the same patch of ground. That's interesting because these two opposing seeds in a physical way, Avar and Arav, in the Middle East have been struggling over the same piece of ground, the same piece of ground that was given to Abraham and to his seed. In other words, what's going on in the Middle East is not an accident. It's not something that is new to the 20th century or 21st century. It's actually been going on since the very beginning. But what's going on physically is a picture of what is going on spiritually. So again, I want to look at these two words, avar and arav. One is fruitful, one is mixed, one is life, one is peace. And if we look at them as two seeds, and that's important because in the very beginning we see there is enmity between the seed of the woman, between the seed of the serpent. They look very similar, and maybe to the untrained eye someone can't discern the difference, but when you look at them very closely, you will see there is a huge difference. And that huge difference will become evident when they begin to produce their fruit. It's almost as if, looking at these as two seeds, that the DNA on one was corrupted. It's not completely different, but it's different enough to alter the fruit that it's going to produce. That's what the adversary does. But the fruits, when they appear, it's going to be very evident what we have. And I believe that we're living in the day and time when for so long the seed of Cain, and by that I mean anyone, any people groups that display his nature, those traits, those characteristics that are born of the adversary, for so long they've tried to hide themselves. Cain told the Lord, I will hide myself from you. I will be concealed from you, esoter, with the inference that you won't find me. 
And for so long, that's what the adversary is trying to do. That's what a serpent does when he's stalking his prey. But when they begin to produce their fruit, then there's no hiding. It's obvious who and what they are. And I believe that's exactly what's going on in our world today. We see these things beginning to produce their fruit. Prophetically speaking, I believe that we're living in a time that would be classified as Erev, Ein Resh Beit, or evening, when light is mingling with darkness, day with night. And if that's the case, if it's prophetically speaking evening, then that means it's about to get dark. And that's where the adversary, I believe, is going to bring or try to bring everything to this climactic battle. His intentions, obviously, are to destroy the wheat, to destroy the good seed. But the bottom line is, it's getting dark. And therefore, you and I as His people, well, we need to do something that Messiah told us to do. In John chapter 9, He said this, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. So, if it's getting dark, if it's twilight now, then that is our cue that we had better get to work. We had better be producing the fruit of that good seed. Now, I know I've said this a couple of times already, but I want to say it again. Arav is a negative term. It is a derogatory term looking at it from a biblical point of view because, once again, it is mixed, it's mingled, it results in death. It is a corruption. And, of course, Arav, as I've shared with you, we would pronounce it Arab. But I do not believe, do not teach, do not advocate that all Arabs are necessarily evil people. As I've said, anyone who comes and calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, regardless of their background. Because one thing I've tried to make very clear in all the programs we've done is that justification is not determined by bloodlines. Um, judgment has never been determined by bloodlines either. You're not condemned because you were born this ethnicity or in this culture or speaking this language, but neither are you rewarded because you were born in this ethnicity or in this culture or speaking this language. It's never been about what your genealog uh, genealogical record is. It's always been about, have you received the good seed? Have you been born again? So that God used the Hebrew culture, and actually I would say biblical culture, to give birth to, um, well, I shouldn't even say give birth to, but to disseminate His Word. Actually, that's better. He used the Hebrew culture to disseminate His Word because His Word actually gave birth to Hebrew culture. But just because he used the Hebrew culture to disseminate his word doesn't mean that those born in that culture are automatically good seed. It doesn't mean that those who assimilate into that culture are automatically good seed. They must receive and must reproduce the good seed to be considered the good seed. And likewise, just because the Arab culture, Arav, gave birth to Islam, this other holy book, this violence, doesn't mean that everyone born into that culture is automatically evil. It doesn't mean that everyone who is born Arab is necessarily bad. 
Again, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But still, it is true, and we can't get around this, political correctness or not, that from the very beginning, the Creator and the adversary have worked through people. The Creator works through people to disseminate His seed. And to do that, His people have to be born again of that good seed, avar. They have to be those who have crossed over from death to life. They have to be those who regard it as Abraham's seed, whether or not they're ethnically his seed or whether they were grafted into and become part of this family through the Messiah. Nevertheless, the whole idea is they are of faith and they're going to propagate the good seed. The reality is also that the adversary has used people to propagate his seed, Arav, and I can't help it if there are certain people groups that have embraced this other seed and have manifest the fruit of this seed throughout the world. I'm saying that because this is what we're facing right now in the world. This is what's going on. This is this climactic battle that I was alluding to. This, it's going on right now. And notice that where this mindset originated from was in a barren desert region. But I also want you to notice that it's being adopted very dramatically by people who live in cities, people who think that they have illumination and that they are enlightened are embracing this mindset that came from the desert. Interesting. So then, ladies and gentlemen, how do we combat this? It's not going to be through bullets and bombs, but let me read this quote from you in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, how do we combat it? Not by trying to destroy the bad fruit necessarily, but actually by producing the good fruit. Thanks for joining me. I hope that these thoughts have resonated within you, that they've been a blessing to you. And we want you to continue to join us here on Returning to Our Roots because, well, we're enjoying bringing these teachings to you and we just want them to be a blessing. So again, thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Bill Cloud. Shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.